my name is Karen O'Connor and you are listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen.mmn. If you enjoy this podcast or podcast in general, and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm here with Richie Mulder. Welcome, Richie. Thank you, Karen. It's really good to be here. And you are the founder of Carbon Halo, which is a climate organization helping small and medium sized businesses tackle the complexity of climate change and carbon neutral and all that kind of stuff, which is, and it's not just small businesses, because I've just been scouring your website, it's for individuals as well, isn't it? So talk to me about yes, correct. what you do and why you're doing it. Let's start in that space and then we can go on to all the rest of it because I'm interested in this. This is great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. It, it is quite topical. And really how we started was my co-founder and I um, were avid surfers living on the, uh, the Gold Coast and we both grew up in Wollongong around the coast. And when you're young, you're out surfing, you're enjoying the water, you're enjoying the environment. And it was probably a couple of years ago where I hadn't been back to Wollongong for quite some time. And we went down there and we just saw that all the beaches had been completely eroded. And it's something that it hits you in the face a little bit because as you're growing up, you, you remember these beautiful beaches and, and now there's almost nothing left. And it's not something that you typically know is happening at the time. As you live your life like you normally do. You don't think about it, but in retrospect, when you go away from something and then you look back, you can then really see the impact. It's a bit like when you, you're growing up as a child, you don't see the child for a few months and they've all of a sudden shot up. So it's a little bit like that. And that was, kind of, that was a wake up moment for us. And our background is around project management consulting and logistics for large corporates. And in part of that, we were starting to do very complex type emissions measurement for large organizations. And we thought as a small business ourselves, we've got to try and do something. and We've got to try and reject the right um, messaging and what we're actually doing in our own business. So we went about trying to do that. And we found it just so difficult. It was notoriously hard and really expensive. And really the impact comes from a collective rather than uh, individualization through one organization. So we thought, okay, we've got to make this simple and make it really easy for small to medium businesses. That, that's our primary target. Individuals, and we can also cater to the larger corporates. That's where we came up with the concept of Carbon Halo. And the idea behind that is to simplify the complexity of carbon. And we want to make it really affordable, low cost, but simple. It's, we don't want to have a negative spin on it. Yes, we've got to do something, but Let's make it positive, let's make it fun, and let's achieve positive impact and be rewarded for it. So that, that's the idea behind Carbon Halo. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because the only time I, as an individual that I've really come across 
carbon neutral anything is when I'm flying somewhere and it asks you if you want to contribute towards carbon neutrality, but I don't really understand it. Where did this come from? And, and talk to me about what it actually, what is carbon neutral or what is your carbon footprint? Yeah, sure. It's, it's a very good place to start. And uh, it, it'll be a little bit of a science lesson here. When we think about climate in itself, it's always changed. We've always had climate change. So it's not something that's just a new concept that, that has been come up with. So it's always happened. And we've had over millions of years, climate fluctuates up and down. And, and the reason why it does that is that we've got distance from the sun, we've got the slight tilt of the earth, we've got the seasons, we've got solar radiation that comes in and out depending on movements and a number of other things that impact climate. So it's not unique to our time. But what we are seeing is that the impact that climate is having on the earth in itself, it's accelerated over a shorter period of time. Now we've got to ask why. Studies have been done where they've started collecting data over a number of years. And realistically, there's this focus on carbon, but it's really just a simplified term to sum up the entire thing. So carbon, what is it? It's really a, a molecule that attaches itself to many different things. So as an example, carbon is in our food, carbon is in diamonds, carbon is pollution, carbon is in plastics, carbon is in everything. So the concept of removing carbon and the focus on carbon is not actually right. So we can't remove carbon from the atmosphere. We can only move it from one vessel to another. And the way that works is through what we call a carbon cycle. So a carbon cycle, there's two cycles. One is a, a cycle that go is in terms of millions of years. And essentially what happens there is that carbon that is trapped within the earth over time, volca volcanoes and other movements in the earth will release carbon. It goes into the atmosphere and through natural sources and natural cycles, it's reabsorbed back through the ocean and it's reabsorbed back into uh, plants and other things. Whereas the short carbon cycle where we talk about lifetimes is the movement of carbon between the, lot, the slow carbon cycle to the fast carbon cycle in spaces of hundreds, uh, hundreds of years. So when we look at the activity that we undertake in those shorter life cycles, what we're seeing is that the human activity that is releasing carbon into the atmosphere is great at, at a greater rate than what the natural cycles can handle. So we're having more carbon move from the earth and its trapped sources through mining and a number of other different things. Pollution when we drive our vehicles and all these other things, it goes up into the atmosphere and over time it will be absorbed, but at a slower rate than what's actually getting up there. So this is where we have this, all these different gases, not just carbon, causing this blanket that's around the earth. Now they call this global warming, but it's really just part of climate change. And essentially what happens is that we have a um, solar radiation that comes in from the sun, gets through the atmosphere, and when it tries to bounce back out, it gets trapped by these gases and bounces back down to the earth. So we get this double hit or a double dose. So this solar radiation is also heat. That heat then affects the, the ice caps, it affects oceans, it affects weather, it affects the cycles of uh, wind and 
rain and clouds and things. So that's where we get this extreme weather patterns happening that we see today. And it only gets worse as more carbon from a slow cycle gets released into the atmosphere. So that's very long-winded, apologies for that. But that's how the climate change is happening. And a carbon footprint is really a measurement of total impact that a particular individual organization or process has and the impact that has on the, the environment. So in terms of us as individuals and say as small businesses, somebody's working from home or whatever, what are the worst things for increasing carbon footprint? Because where I went with it, like my background's in construction, right? And I learned in the UK. I went to university in the UK and I came over to Australia and I am still to this day, 30 odd years later, mortified by our building industry, not in so much as the process, but the end product. We don't have double or triple glazing. We don't have good insulation. We, The building materials that we use don't have great thermal qualities. We don't look at that end result. It's a little bit of a sidetrack because what I was going to say is what are the worst things that we do? to increase our carbon footprint, our carbon output? And what are the best things that, what, what is it we do well as well? Because we focus on the negatives, but we've also got to point ourselves towards what does work so that we know what we can do as an alternative. Yeah, yeah just that, <clears throat> that's exactly right. And, and it is interesting. And a lot of it does come down to um, the thermal capability and uh, eco-efficiency of our home. So, Quite rightly, you pointed out that insufficient insulation, the building materials, um, everything's done based on price rather than quality. Inferior quality of the products then don't have the, the same properties as better quality items, and then you have less efficiency. And it's a trade-off because you then need to spend more money on cooling and heating, which releases the gases and increases your cost versus having a properly insulated or properly designed homes that take the efficiencies of heat and cold to be able to keep the your home comfortable. And we are seeing that in the industry progressing. So we've got a number of clients that are architectures and architectural firms and construction organisations. And the adoption of Green Star and a number of other different initiatives are focusing on the types of materials, looking at better eco-efficiency out of homes and the, the the design of homes to reduce the reliance on cooling and heating implements like air conditioners and, and other things. So th that's exactly right. So at home, our biggest emitters are our appliances. It's the energy that we use. So electricity is a big one. It's also the vehicles that we drive. Emissions that come out of our tailpipe for vehicles. Now we have to drive. You can't just say, all right, I'm not going to use the car. It's impractical. So we've got to think about ways of okay, how do we mitigate or how can we put back what we're actually polluting in that respect? And then there are the two components. Selection of appliances that we're using goes a long way. And as an example, in some of the courses that we do for employees and for businesses, just selecting the right appliances will save a household anywhere between $1,800 to $2,500 a year on electricity costs, but also halve their emissions footprint. So there's, it's just understanding what the appliances, the rating of the appliances, what they mean and where you save and the running cost of those appliances when you're actually purchasing them. 
Give me an example of that, one that we could relate to easily. Yeah, okay. As an example, if you've got a, a standard type electric cooktop and oven, and similar with a water hot water system, and we're running a ducted air conditioning system. So that's typically what we find in homes today. If we were to move across to an induction type cooktop with a better star rating and look at a, an oven that can still be electric, we use a hot water heat pump attached to our hot water heater, which you can actually buy them, and you move to a split air conditioning system per room rather than having a ducted system, the emissions reduction is close to around about 60% and the cost saving in operational running over 12 months is a saving of around about $1,800. So you get your money back on what you so, paid, the difference you'd paid in, in a few years, wouldn't you, easily? Exactly, yeah. So we've got to get away from this mentality of cheap, I'll go for the lowest price go for something that is good quality, low operating and running costs. It'll save a number of things, save you in the long run, because you tend to have an appliance for 10 years. So don't look at the upfront capital because you'll pay that back quite, quite easily and go for the quality. So it'll last you longer and you're also helping the planet in doing so. That's not an excuse to go out and buy all the new appliances, by the way. <laughs> It's just an option that when you are thinking of buying something, just, just take a little bit of time to understand the ratings of them. How do the ratings work? Are they a worldwide thing or is it based in individual countries or is it like a standard that everybody adopts? Yeah, so in Australia it's a standard. So we have the different star ratings and you can have the energy star ratings and you've got for washing machines and things and dishwashers, you've got the water, the water efficiency ratings. So the more stars that you have, the better it will be. It used to be only five stars, but you'll see now that there's an increase up to 10 or 11 stars. So they're getting better and better in terms of efficiency. But the higher you go, of course, the more the more capital it costs. So. Yeah, just because we've done a couple of, what do you call it, apartment blocks in Sydney, in, in the North Shore of Sydney. And I know we had to do, when we were building those, a minimum of six stars in terms of environmental rating. But they don't seem to do that with individual houses, do they? They put it on the developer when you're doing a multi-storey development, but not necessarily on the individual houses. There's more houses in Australia no, than there are apartments. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's up to the, it's up to the, uh, the individual that's actually building the house to, to pick the appliances. And, and I, I think to right, quite rightly so, they, they should have that choice. But at the same time, there, there should be probably minimum standards of appliance efficiencies that we should have in Australia. And similar for insulation and things like that. We're in a country where it's quite warm. We have a lot of sun. So the more efficient we can be, the more money we're going to save and the better it is for the planet in the long run. Yeah, I've never understood the whole aluminium windows thing. It's, it's single glazed aluminium windows. The worst heat efficiency in the history of the universe. Mm. <laughs> So you work out your carbon footprint and everything, and then what? where do you go from there? What is it you do to help alleviate everybody's carbon footprint? Because like I, like I say, I see yeah, it when so I go it, on. It does get, play, but I don't know what it actually yeah, does. Yeah, it does get quite complex. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll explain um, a, a little bit that, about um, where the, the Australian government is. The Australian government, or Australia in itself, has roughly around about 500 million tonnes of uh, emissions each year. Now, a lot of that is taken up through industry, mining, manufacturing, transport, uh, energy production, and, and things like that. So the government is focusing on uh, technology and building technology and development of technology to be able to reduce uh, or avoid uh, creating additional emissions through those industries. There's a push from government um, across the business to do that. Now, there is uh, a set number of businesses. I think it's, it's close to around about just over 400 businesses in Australia that meet the requirement, that a mandatory requirement, where they have to reduce their emissions by, I think it's 5% by 2028, I think. Don't quote me on that. It's somewhere around there. But what we're seeing is that some of the legislation around those elements is starting to filter down into other businesses. And what we're seeing is that these large corporates are now pushing the requirements onto their suppliers, which are smaller businesses, to also comply. As an example, you can pick one of the large mining companies and they may turn around and say, okay, all of our suppliers that do work for us in order to help us reduce our emissions, you now have to also go down that path and reduce your emissions. So whilst the government doesn't legislate for the smaller business to do it, it's being dictated to, by larger corporates down to smaller businesses to comply or they don't get the work. So we're seeing that happen. And then from there, it just keeps filtering down. The issue that we have is that what we've seen is that um, there are some businesses that are doing something. And as an example, they could focus on one element of their business and they then go and spend 90% of their marketing effort on promoting that small one element that they've done. And that falls under the banner of what we call greenwashing. And, I, and you've probably heard that in the news in part. So really the ACCC is now cracking down on businesses that are looking at doing that. So they've recently released a guidance around the eight principles of how they should be talking about the products and services that they offer and the use of terms around environment, green, natural, and all these other things. So it is a bit of a wake-up call for businesses that are thinking about trying to promote themselves with really minimal effort or doing the same thing that they're doing, spending a bit of money in investing into a climate project and then claiming that they're carbon neutral. So that's trying to mitigate and stop that happening. Really, it comes down to where we see the industry is that safety was a really big thing quite a few years ago. Businesses were always talking about their safety metrics. These days, you don't really hear about it because safety is adopted as part of the culture. So in the future, what we see coming down the pipeline is that similar to sustainability is that it will be adopted as part of business culture. So you won't have these businesses promoting on how sustainable they are and the emissions have reduced and the emissions have done this and that, it'll just be all part of normal business. But we've got a way to get there yet. What can you do to reduce your carbon footprint and what can you do to mitigate the carbon footprint that you're left with? Yeah, okay. So I think the first thing is to understand what your carbon footprint is. Mm -hmm. Having that baseline will then give you an idea of, okay, this is what my lifestyle does. 
And we have a very easy calculator on our website under the personal section where you just put in a couple of drop downs, select what, what type of lifestyle you have, and it will give you a, a total footprint. When you get that information, there will be a box on the side that says, okay, do you want to commit to swapping out your lights to LEDs? Do you want to commit to reducing the number of wash loads you do per week? Or do you want to reduce the, the number of kilometers that you travel? Or do you want to reduce? So there's a different, there's, I think there's about 10 or, 10 or 11 different options. So by selecting some of those, and then you hit recalculate, it will tell you the impact of doing those on will have on your footprint. So there's some very simple things. So, but first understanding what that footprint is really important because then once you have that in your mind and you become more aware of uh, your lifestyle, it then gives you an option to make a choice. And what we mean by that is that when you go to buy something and you look at it and it's all just cheap plastic, you start thinking, should I really buy that? Or should I buy something that's probably better for the environment or it's not using single-use plastics or it's not this or not that? And that's the whole point of this is that it's not saying, okay, you need to go and get to zero emissions. That's impossible, right? So it's about becoming more informed and aware to being able to make better choices which positively impact um, the environment in the longer term. So what can we do with the emissions that we unavoidably have to generate in just living? There are options to do that. So we also have a number of different climate projects which are certified around emission reduction and avoidance. And some of those are in agriculture where they capture methane and they reuse the methane in processes. Others are in renewable energy, so solar or, or wind, or it might be in, in waste. So we can capture solid waste and reuse the waste in other ways. So there's projects that we have that people can, what we call balance their emissions out in. If you've got one tonne of emissions left over, you can then go and balance out that one tonne into a climate project, which helps fund the work of that project to continue on doing the work that it's doing. And what do they do? What is it that you do to cancel out that emission that somebody has? Yeah, so some of the projects that we have is that if a business or an individual says, okay, I want to get rid of the emissions that I can't avoid, they can go onto our site and they can uh, elect to fund the equivalent amount of emissions into a climate project. Now, those funds go to that climate project to be able to continue the work that they are doing. So as an example, if it's a methane capture, that money then gets invested in continuing to develop the technology and continue the operations in capturing the methane and removing that from going into the atmosphere. So where it falls over is that if they don't get the funds, then they can't continue on. So that, that's where the balancing comes out is that someone saying, okay, in order to balance my emissions, I'm willing to give you the equivalent amount in a dollar figure so you can keep funding your project to reduce the emissions on my behalf. Are there some, this is a bit of an aside here, are there some projects that are more easily promotable than others? Because like methane capturing, I'm aware of that because I used to live in Armadale in New South Wales and was involved in UNE, so I know 
about the methane emissions thing. But people mm-hmm. would maybe look on that as, ah, oh, what's methane emissions? You know about planting a tree, but they may not know about other projects about that or how important it is. Yeah, that's right. I guess the very easy and simple thing is to think about trees. And yes, we're going to plant trees. And planting, the, planting trees is a really great thing. But what we do is we don't focus too much on getting funded for planting trees. <clears throat> and the reason for that is that what we have found is that particularly in Australia, is that if in tropical areas, if you have a project where you are funding trees and then you get a cyclone come through and flatten the area, you've had all these people put in funds to plant trees and the trees are gone. So it's done essentially nothing. So uh, we want to focus on something that's probably more tangible so we can quantify it. And so people are more assured of, okay, this amount has actually reduced this amount and I know it's permanent. Whereas a tree, it's not so much. Now that's not to say that we don't plant trees because we do, but we do it as a an added value where companies and businesses that work with us, we fund the planting of trees, but we don't measure the quantity in terms of emissions that it's reducing. It's just something else that we do because we realise that it's an important part. So what kind of projects are there um, that you get people involved in? Yeah, so we've got a number of solar, so large solar farms that we invest in. And those solar farms are really there to remove the reliance on fossil fuels from the energy from the grid. And so all the criteria, sorry, the criteria that we have for all of our projects, it's got to meet a couple of criteria. One is that it's got to be in renewables technology or it's got to be quite innovative. The second one is that it has to be able to inject funds back into the local community and provide opportunities for uh, minorities that may not be able to get employment or indigenous peoples or other things. So it's got to tick that box. It has to be certified and verified against the global and Australian standards. In Australia, it's the clean energy regulator that certifies the Australian carbon credit units. And then globally, it's the VERA standard, the voluntary emissions reduction standards that these projects have to meet. And the third, sorry, the fourth criteria is that it's got to have some relevance to what we call the sustainable development goals, which means that it's got to contribute to one of those goals in some way, shape or form that um, benefits the community and socially outside of just emissions reduction. So we have solar farms, we've got hydro type plants and production of hydrogen. We've got the methane capture. We've got solid waste removal. And we've got some what we call human-induced regeneration, which is typically located in Australia in the outback around Indigenous communities and revitalising river systems and things like that to improve native bushland and things like that. Sorry, there's a couple of places I wanted to go there. I've just completely lost my track because I was thinking about the river systems. What happened to the river <laughs> systems, just as a complete aside here? <laughs> They've completely disappeared. Yeah. So the, the, the river systems are, are very uh, dry or the, the bush has been completely eroded and uh, around the river system, so it's just not allowing habitat for natural species and a number of other things. So 
the whole area then um, is degraded. So the, the idea of that is is cleaning all that up, allowing the river systems to flow, replanting native bush species in along the river system to encourage uh, animals and insects and things back into the area and to help that bush area start to thrive again. So going back to our carbon footprint as an individual, let's just start with an individual, never mind business, but what would be our base carbon footprint if we didn't have aircon and we didn't have old-fashioned electric cookers and rubbish washing machines? What is the difference on average? Like what would it be in Australia and what is it? And how much does it cost to offset that? How much would it cost a, yeah. a family to offset that? Yeah, in Australia, we, on average, uh, a household has somewhere around about 14 to 22 tonnes per year of emissions. Now, to offset that, it's probably around about $20, $22 a month, something like that. So it's not a huge cost to do it, but it's always better to reduce than to offset. So our position is that it, offsetting is the, is the easy way, right? And this is where we go and what we want to try and avoid is that for an individual or a business to say, oh, yeah, I, I drive a, a big V8, I've got a pool, and I've got all these other things, and, yeah, I'm, I, I can pollute as much as I want because I'm paying to offset it. That's not the point. The The point is to try and say, okay, let's look at our, our emissions. Let's try and reduce what we can. And then whatever is left over, then let's try and offset that. If a household is looking to, to make impact, it's around about the, in between the 14 to 22 odd tonne. Now from there, if they can reduce half of that and it brings it back down to 10 or 7 tonnes per year, then they can look at offsetting that component. And then that component is it becomes quite manageable where it might be like $12 or $15 a month or something. So it's pretty cheap. But also knowing that those funds are also helping local communities and other things is a, a bit of a sweetener as well. Yeah, I think I hadn't actually thought about that till you said it just then. But the fact that it is, it's not just about going somewhere and planting 10 trees on your behalf. It's actually changing... Mm. I suppose it requires a change in our thinking, doesn't it? That we get present to what we're doing and the impact that it's having. Yeah, that's exactly right. And look, my kids are at me all the time. <laughs> they want to buy a toy and I say to them, hey, it's all plastic. It's come from China. Forget about it. You're not getting it because you're going to play with it. And then where does it go? It goes into disposal and it never, it's, so it's all these things. So it does change your mindset. Um, my kids hate it, but it's something that you're going to have to learn is that save your money a bit and buy something that's better quality, better for the environment, you have it longer and you'll enjoy it more. That that also goes to, and I don't know how much you know about this, but goes to the clothing industry too, doesn't it? All these cheap mm. clothes. We talk about the slave labour and, and the environmental impact that it has. The fashion industry has the biggest environmental impact in the world is that right or one of the biggest certainly one of the biggest yeah and there's different stores that you can go into you can smell the chemical and the petrochemicals in the clothes they are made so cheaply 
you wouldn't want to go near a, an open flame, to be honest. It's just some of the, the clothing is really poor. And you, you just got to stay away from that. It's like the age-old adage of you get what you pay for. So if you're going to pay 50 cents or $2 for a shirt, you wear it a few times and then you throw it out. So it's this disposal mentality rather than paying for something that's good quality and then have it for a long period of time. And it, it is coming down the pipe where businesses that are doing this, they've then got to start talking about the materials that they're using and the impact that those materials have on the environment. Larger companies where they're mass producing this stuff, the rules in, in China and other places aren't as strict as what they are in Australia. So over time, what you'll find is that businesses in Australia importing that, those products will then start to have to answer for what they're importing and what they're selling. So we'll, we'll slowly see a shift. And for small businesses, so let's just move away from individuals for a minute. For small businesses, what are the big things that they can do to reduce their carbon footprint? And I'm saying small businesses and yeah, so, so many different ones. It's just like that. Yeah, it. there is. So we have clients that are coffee shops, that are office environments, that are manufacturers, that a number of different industries. And each business and business sector is a little bit unique in where the emissions come from. Coffee shops, for instance, very high on energy use and waste, where an office environment, it comes from employee commute and energy as well. And then you may have the motor industry, which it comes from fuel. It'll come from fuel, not so much energy. So it's a little bit different for each of the businesses. And there's different strategies for each of those sectors and what they can do to minimise the footprint that they have. And part of that is what we're talking about is as individuals becoming more aware. And so we offer an employee engagement program called our Green Leaders Program, which educates employees on some of the practical ways that they can improve or help their business at work and things that they can do at home, similar to things that we've been touching on here for individuals. But just educating and making them aware helps change that or at least start that mindset change. Are there government incentives for being reducing your carbon emissions and stuff? Is this all tax deductible or am I thinking airy-fairy and the government doesn't do things like that? <clears throat> yeah, so, so the government is starting to get behind uh, a lot of this and it really depends on the state that you're in. So, for instance, in Queensland, the government has a program called EcoBiz and EcoBiz is a free program where a representative will come in and do a, a review of the energy that you use, the water that you use and the waste that you have. And they'll give you a reduction strategy around, around those, those three components only. But it is a free program, so that's great. And then they've got in New South Wales, there is a, an equipment upgrade type incentive where move, they can move from equipment or move from fossil fuels to solar and the government will fund part of that equipment upgrade. You've got to go through some hoops to qualify, but there is a number of different grants that are available in different states to help businesses to go down that path of minimising and reducing their energy consumption and moving to towards renewables. 
Is there anything to help the individual if we wanted to double glaze our houses no. or put more insulation in the roof or whatever? Is there anything for that? No, nothing. There's solar schemes, but, and even with the solar, what we're seeing, I know in Queensland, that if we install a solar system that has a battery attached to it, the Queensland government still requires access to the charge in that battery. So it's not 100% yours and that if the grid needs additional power, they have the ability to tap into your battery to use some of that power and still leave you a minimum of 20%. So it's not set up really to benefit the consumer at this point. That's so interesting. So we're going to wrap up in a few minutes. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or tell us about? Yeah, look, I think we really just want to get awareness out there. And whether you really you believe in climate change or not, it, it doesn't really matter. The principles are really the same for everyone and that if every single one of us can look after and take care of the pollution or impact that we have, regardless of whether you, you, you do believe in climate change or not, it's only going to make a positive impact on the overall environment that we live in. An example of that is if we're driving the vehicle everywhere, there's pollution coming out the back of the vehicle. So if we can handle that or do something to try and mitigate that, fantastic. And if every individual did that, it's a massive impact. Similar to with the waste, if we're careless with waste and disposal, we have an impact. If we can compost, we can do other things. Again, that's positive. So really that's probably it, is just being conscious of the impact we individually have. And if you can actually do something, even if it's a small amount, to minimise that, it's going to be better for everyone. And tell me, you the web address and everything will be on the page that goes with the podcast, but tell people how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so um, they can get in touch with us through uh, the webpage, which is carbonhalo.com. You, through Instagram, uh, which is underscore um, carbonhalo, uh, and then we've got Facebook and the social LinkedIn as well. And we've got a phone number if anyone ever wants to call us and get advice, which is the 1300 5, I've got to remember it now, 1300 422 522, I think it is. Don't quote me on that. I'm going to have to look at that. Do you want me to check <laughs> I'm probably it? giving you the wrong phone number. Hang on yeah. a minute. Anyway, they can contact through email as well, which is uh, info at carbonhalo.com. It's, I've got one three hundred two one four four five four. Is that right? That's it. That's it. I knew it had fours and fives in it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> it's like me trying to remember my daughter's phone number. She changed her phone number. Do you yeah. think I can remember the new one? No, I hope. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know anyone's phone number. It's all in your, your directory and your phone these days. You just hit a name. You never know their number. <laughs> Remember my Medicare number, can't remember the phone numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Richie. It's been really interesting talking to you. Such a lot of information there. Yeah, th thank you very much for having me. And, and I, I hope I didn't bamboozle people with too much of the, the science behind some of this. Um, try to keep it simple, but when you're passionate about something, you get a little bit carried away. 
No, I think it's a missing, for me, it's a missing piece of information. We see all the information about climate change and we got to change what we're doing and everything, but not so much about, okay, here's an easy solution. Here's how you can calculate the impact that you're having. Here's what you can do without too much hassle. That's absolutely mm. invaluable, I think. That was what I wanted to get across from the episode and I think you've managed to do that. Great. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.